welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. All right, everybody, let's roll. Let's... Uh possibly the official new intro for knock on podcasts yeah that's right we're doubling up i'm rubbing my hands together getting practice in for uh starting a campfire in the woods in montana here in a few days so um yeah anyway it's sharon's birthday i did the one podcast this morning i was really on to that broadhead subject and kind of liked that whole discussion um, I heard her get up, so I went up and said hi, gave her presents and all that good stuff and got her some coffee. She's moving, her brain's functioning, and now she's talking to a bunch of our family for her birthday uh, wishes. So with that said, I asked her if I could come down and uh, enjoy a beverage courtesy of uh, Arch- R.C. Archer, who sent a um, crown beverage. This is actually a new invention um, I'm calling it knockdown. This is a lemon lime. I'm not totally sure to think of it, but it's a lemon lime kill cliff with some crown reserve. So I'm calling it knockdown and it's, uh, yeah, I'm going to keep slammering. That's uh, a saying I came up with last night in one of my social media posts. Um, Sharon posted a thing, double fisting. Last night, um, a martini and a wine glass, and I was a little bit, um, a little bit sauced, and uh, yeah, someone told me to keep hammering, and I said, well, actually, if I have drinks in my hands, I'm slamming, so I'm gonna keep slammering. Uh, that's my spinoff. Sorry, Cam, stole, kind of stole that, um, and uh, I'll I'll have your beverages for you, sir. Um, so anyway. I wanted to talk a little bit more. I posted on my uh, Instagram, I posted a little video about the golden triangle and what I was talking about in reference to anatomy and um, pretty much how the, you know, my aiming zone within that. Um, and if you're, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, um, it is September 16th. So if you want to scroll back through my Instagram to September 16th, there's a video that has, I pretty much just did a GIF that flashes back and forth between um, a a skeletal structure of an elk, um, the vitals of an elk, and organs, and then an actual shot that I placed on an elk, which was a shot that someone kind of slammed me about um, on, which I talked about in the last podcast. But anyway... Um, you can see I've marked the golden triangle. I've talked about that. And one thing that I didn't get into on the last podcast that I really want to get into right now is, you know, once you make that shot and you go through that golden triangle, you know, what really is the identifier of penetration? Because one thing that I've learned as someone who films, um, almost all my hunts is exactly, um, what happens with that arrow once it passes through. 
And I can tell you that there's some amazing things that happen to an arrow uh, when it actually does pass through. But if you're like me and you use the legs as a reference and when the animal's turned and you see the separation of those legs and you go up the inside of the leg, so you're literally aiming to the offside shoulder. Um, a lot of times <clears throat> I don't get full pass-throughs because I am specifically aiming to offside shoulder and a lot of times that offside arm bone or offside shoulder um, you know the arrow has lost a lot of um, momentum by the time it gets through over there and a lot of times when it hits that obviously it's you know the blade's been cutting already it's losing it's got a lot of drag so there's a lot of things factoring in but what happens is once it hits that opposite shoulder what i've noticed is if an animal is reacting and they're dropping down and they're moving those arms and moving those scapulas when that arrow passes through to the other side and then that arm is moving as soon as it's moving down or ducking it's actually driving that arrow back out and a lot of times the penetration that you see on that animal as it's running away isn't truly of you know a perfect image of what that penetration was at moment of impact um, so you know it you know i call it driving a lot of times when you shoot you hit the opposite shoulder within the first thrust of that animal trying to run they actually just drive that arrow right back out to where all of a sudden as fast as your eye is seeing it you go from seeing that knock hit point a so all of a sudden now that it's turning and making its first lunge and you're seeing a big majority of your arrows sticking out and you're like, oh man, is that how much penetration did I really get? Um, so if you're, if you're aiming opposite side shoulder and which I do a lot, um, I just like, you know, the impact. I like how long it takes to actually go down. Then it's, um, it's fairly deceptive. So when you watch film and you're watching someone that posted, you know, posted a, a shot sequence on social media or something, try to pay attention, you know, try to pay attention to how much penetration that arrow actually had when it comes to a stop versus when it's getting driven back out. Now, right now, I've actually got um, some people watching here on Instagram. I'm live, so I'm actually going to show them quick. A, uh, I'm going to show a video, and I may post this. I've been debating it. Um, I don't know if I really want to post it. I've been debating posting it. Um, but anyway, I'm going to, hmm, well, I guess maybe the cat's going to be out of the bag now. So we'll have to, I guess I'll have to cross that bridge when I get there. It's a bear that I shot, spot and stock. Um, and I'll just, uh, I'm going to show these people here. So it's a bear that I shot spot and stock. It's a giant bear. And so as the arrow is going in, um, let's see here. I got to get this thing playing. Um, do, 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 do. Um, so as the arrow is going in, um, hits opposite shoulder that it doesn't look like there's much penetration but then uh, as the you know as the bear is reacting and the shoulders driving 
there's an incredible uh, amount of air that actually comes out. Um, but in saying that, the thing that's also important is a lot of people may think that that shot was very far forward uh, because of just how fast everything happens full speed. Um, but I can tell you again what a lot of people fail to realize is the importance of understanding that those vitals are actually they're between those front legs and on a something as big as a bear you obviously they have incredibly large arm bones so you don't want to actually hit the arm that golden triangle is very important but if you get directly behind those legs and not back you know you people that try to aim behind the shoulder um, you know if you look at behind the shoulder Behind the shoulder can get you in trouble because as soon as you start to go there, you're actually more focused on liver um, and you're actually any margin back and you're automatically into the intestines. You do have margin of error forward, which a lot of people that aim behind the shoulder and then they end up missing forward and they're like, oh, I think I hit them forward. They end up getting surprised at how fast that thing goes down because what actually happens is they go straight behind that arm and they get to where the key vitals really are and where all the valves are coming into the front of the heart in the front part of those lungs. And on this particular um, thing here, it is incredible what this tripan does. Um, the amount of instant, instant blood flow is incredible. And literally within the first breaths, um, it's just substantial how much is coming out of there because of where that arrow impacted. So do I get a perfect pass through? Do I get full penetration all the way through? No, I don't. But I'm here to argue that I'm actually able to get the, the, the part where I want, which is I want to shoot directly where the heart and where the lungs and where all the arteries are coming together. And straight up that arm is where you get instant, instant. Um, I would argue it's even more ethical to do it that way. And if you look on my elk that I shot, which I've I posted a video um, of an elk that I shot uh, in Alberta several years ago, I had a video of that up on my social, um, that, uh, that elk, some people argue that I shot that elk forward. Um, however, it's dead center in the triangle and that elk, it literally, you know, went about a hundred yards, which is how far an elk can go. Um, when it's, you know, I guess that's about how far an elk can go when it's um, when it's on a dead run. It's only a matter of seconds. But I just feel like that shot is is just so much. I don't know. I've had way more luck with that shot than when people are so focused at aiming behind the shoulder. You know, behind the shoulder is. I would I would argue um, because I'm such a big advocate of uh, visualization, and you know I really believe in talking to yourself about what shot um, what shot you want to see, 
and really talking to yourself about um, what you're going to do when you're going to be out there, which is, which is actually a subject that I'm going to be talking about um, really, really soon here. Um, I want to, I kind of want to get on the the subject of um, how to deal with you know keeping your head up when you're a little bit in a slump as an archer. And so much of that is really going through um, that imagery of what you're going to do and talking to yourself about what you're going to do and really imprinting that into your mind of this is where I'm going to shoot. And this is, um, even if you're a target archer listening right now and you're you know pretty much fed up with how much hunting talk that you've heard in the last 12 minutes and 16 seconds, um, it's the same thing is going to apply to a target archer that's on a course is being able to go there mentally, be able to rehearse exactly what you want to do. And, and sometimes even talking out loud to yourself, I know talking outside to my, or talking out loud to myself definitely helps imprint it more because it's almost like it's ownership and I'm, I'm going to have to own up to that. Um, so, and I think I've talked about that in the past when, um, when I told Harry to go up to his coach and tell him exactly how he is going to do, because I said, then you've got to own up to it. You've put yourself in that position. You know that you need, you really need to make that happen. Um, so when whenever I'm shooting, I don't like to tell myself, okay, pin behind the shoulder, pin behind the shoulder. The reason I don't is because obviously I've talked about this a lot in the last two podcasts behind the shoulder is flirting with the back third of the true vitals of the air of the animal so um my way of thinking is you know stay in the triangle you know stay in the triangle edge you know edge of the leg edge of the leg like back edge of the leg is way more important to me than uh, than golden try or than uh, behind the shoulder. I'm just telling you, behind the shoulder is is one of those deals where it can certainly uh, get you in trouble. Now I'm gonna let's see here. I'm gonna pull up uh, one more video for those that are watching um, on Instagram, and what I'm actually gonna show them is uh, I'm going to show them the video of uh, the bull that I shot in Alberta. And this bull came a long way. And what I want to show these these people is just what happens with that arrow um, as it enters. Um, Because once again, it's entering, you know, I'm... I'm aiming golden triangle the entire time the elk starts to duck and turn and I hit exactly on the golden triangle. But you can see that, um, or those watching can see that the penetration at impact, which the elk is starting to duck. um, I knew that this was a little bit longer shot and I actually aimed right at the bottom edge of the triangle because I expected this elk to slightly react, which it did. Um, And as it hits, I literally go through and hit the opposite shoulder. But if you're watching and you're watching as a hunter full speed, 
as soon as that elk turns and runs, if you didn't know better, you would actually um, you would actually start to question how much penetration I get because um, you know the arrow looks like it's quite a ways hanging out once that elk has made its first few steps. But the reality is, I actually did pass all the way through that elk, and you can see as the elk runs off. You can actually see the broadhead tearing through um, on the opposite side. But a lot of people that watched this video, even though they watched it um, on my social media because I did post um, this shot, they actually um, made some comments that there wasn't much penetration. But you really have to keep in mind, I'm a huge believer in avoiding the main arm bone in which, you know, the main arm bone comes off the elbow and runs forward on an elk. It's right in that very dark part of the hide that goes towards the front lump of the neck or towards the front sternum. That part, that arm bone, you're not going to go through with really any broadhead on an elk. That I can tell you. Um... And the elbow obviously is a major socket that you're not going to go through either. But when it comes to, um, you know, going through that scapula, that you're going to be able to make it through. And I can tell you that if you get back there, you're literally hitting all of the vitals in the right spot. And it's, uh, it's super, super, super important. And that's why if you are shooting lower poundage, um, I'm a big advocate of waiting for that quartering away shot so that you can, in fact, aim towards front shoulder of opposite side. You have to be able, at that point, quartering away, yeah, quartering away, you can definitely go in behind the arm and then up into the, um, to the front shoulder on the opposite side, and ultimately you're hitting the same stuff. And that's why so many people that shoot really, really big, big hogs, big wild boars, they know that that plate that literally goes from the front edge of the scapula back almost to where the back of the lungs would be, that scap or that plate is so dense and thick that it's really hard to ram something through there. So let letting those bigger, um, those bigger, I guess, more robust hogs letting them uh, get it on an angle to where you can kind of go through the back edge of that shield and then get up in there, um, you're just much, much better off. So that uh, that's kind of my whole philosophy to shot angles, really paying attention to, to the arrow drive um, when you talk, you know, especially when you watch, if you're going to be someone that's skeptical on penetration or has something to say about penetration, Make sure you really look at how much penetration was there when that arrow actually came to a halt, um, because as soon as that as soon as that animal starts to to run, that arrow starts to drive back the other direction, and it gets really really deceptive on how much it actually um, how much it's actually moving, um, and again, I look at the entire anatomy of that animal. And I think about, you know, I'm shooting Rage Tripans. I'm thinking about, okay, the areas that aren't necessarily the best for me to hit, well, the areas that I can't hit 
our elbow joint and the main front arm uh, from the elbow joint up that whole arm until it connects to the scapula. So literally from scapula connection or shoulder connection down to the front elbow, um, it's a little bit longer in a human on us than it is on, on a, a normal deer. Normal deer, you know, it's not quite the proportion, slightly different. Um, but that area is pretty much a no-go. Spine, um, depending on the mechanical, you will lose some penetration. Um, but, you know, spine shots are, they're iffy. A lot of times, you know, you'll shell shock them enough to be able to, to volley with another arrow. Um, and then, you know, the other, the only other stuff is like, you know, that pelvic region, um, which honestly, if you hit something like that, I've seen a lot of animals with expandables that get hit in those areas and maybe the penetration is not there, um, on a direct socket or direct pelvic bone, so to speak. But, you know, the thing is, for example, on the Cleared Hot podcast I did with Andy Stump, we talked about an elk that came in and actually reacted very heavily to his bow going off. Uh, came to a caller, had no idea Andy was there, and Andy made a great shot. Um, it was a perfect shot, but the elk really ducked and spun right as the arrow was shot. And because it was ducking and turning so fast, um, he had a quartering away shot, but it ducked and turned so fast it ended up um, hitting it back like pretty much high on the rear hip. But the arrow penetration was very minimal. The elk ended up walking back in with the other elk, um, bled a little bit. But then the next day we saw him out uh, out in that same, literally that same full section uh, doing his, his elk type of stuff. So, you know, it's it's kind of a an equal question to how much um you know how much do you do you really want that impact um do you want it to be to the point where it's going to maim that animal and cripple it at a later date or um do you maybe want that penetration on something that's non-lethal anyway cuz all you're going to do is break a leg or break a hip it's not it's not like you're going to do much damage. You're just going to break it and cripple it and then have to be forced with taking alternate measures to, uh, to, to get that thing down. Um, and I'm just, I don't know. I'm a huge, I'm a a huge fan. Now I do like, um, I do like a, a fixed blade head, a fixed blade head that flies good is awesome. And I will tell you that one thing I've decided is in my quiver, I'm going to find a fixed blade head that flies absolutely as best as possible um, and that flies as close to my um, my mechanical broadhead selection as possible. And I'm going to actually keep that one fixed blade head loaded up on the front of my quiver, so arrow number four. And that way I'll know where it's at. And if there's ever a situation where... You know, if I'm in super thick brush and all of a sudden I look down and realize, you know, somehow I deployed a mechanical blade, you know, crawling through the brush or hanging or snagging on something. Um, Or if all of a sudden, you know, say I have to make a follow-up shot on something and it's standing and there's tall grass and I know I'm having to, to run that arrow through that. 
those are all situations where having that fixed blade head could definitely uh, be a, benef- a benefit. And I just think it'd be important. Um, and that's going to be kind of my practice. I'm going to have my, my standard uh, mechanical heads that I really like. I really, really like the tripans and the hypodermic, the two-inch hypodermic. If you're shooting lower poundage, the hypodermic plus P is a great option. Um, but then, you know, the Muzzy Trocar or a Wacom, those are great flying heads for sure. All right. One thing I want to kind of stay on subject about is keeping your head up during slumps. This is a very, very critical topic right now because there's going to be a lot of bow hunters that go out there. And I've said this many, many times in the past. Um, whenever people tell me that they've never missed an animal or never lost an animal, um, to me, that's just a sign of you haven't really just shot it enough of them because for the longest time I could tell you, I never, uh, blanked a target during a tournament either until I shot enough tournaments. And now I've, I've blanked a lot of targets. Um, matter of fact, I've, uh, I don't know if I told the story or not. Maybe I did, but, um, actually there was one time where I blanked two targets. <laughs> I was at a U.S. team selection and I was out practicing on this range went up to the first target. It was a marked round. So I really, um, because it was a marked course, I wasn't totally focused on judging the target, setting my sight, looking at the target again. I was just like, okay, it's, it's 45. And I just slid my sight. And, um, you know, I I thought it's 45. I just slid my sight, went up, made my shot. It was a very, very, so the rain was pouring down. Wind was, you know, it was windy, rainy, sloppy. I made my shot and I thought, you know, my pin was so in the center of this target. And because the target was all rained on and wet, the bullseye was kind of soggy and there was people who had shot it the day before. So I just looked down there and I thought, okay, I just shot in the middle where it's soft and I couldn't see my arrow, which, you know, I shot black veins at the time. So I really was just thinking, okay, it's in there. So I drew back again. And at this time I was, um, before that arrow, I think I was one point behind, um, my buddy that was leading this, uh, this team selection. So I pull back and make another shot. Perfect shot. <laughs> I'd l- look down there cannot see my arrow i'm like what and so i finally um i'll just say it i looked at dave cousins and i go man are those passing through and he was here's one of the shady sides to being a pro you know everybody's fighting for a role everyone's fighting to be on the team this was day two so we were all within a few points of one another for the top three spots to make this team and Dave knew that damn good and well that I missed that first target and he just wasn't going to say anything because he was, he knew that just pretty much solidified his first place. Um, but he also probably didn't want to take any chances. So he just kept his mouth shut and let me shoot the second one. And when I asked him, are, did that one pass through too? 
he just looked at me because he knew at that point it was 10 points. <laughs> and he goes, are you going to move your site off 35 yards? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I looked down. I was just so focused. I slid my site to 35, made my two shots. I was so certain that my shots were breaking in the dead center of this X that I just, there was no way you're going to convince me that they weren't just blowing right through the center of the X. Um, so needless to say, I dug myself a pretty substantial hole and ended up, um, ended up fighting back and coming, coming up to a tie and ended up having to do a tiebreaker on the very last, uh, target to get, get my slot on that team. Uh, however, uh, I did get on the team and the reason was, is because I didn't let those two arrows that I had already fired affect the ones that I had not fired yet. And I don't know, I, I kind of made the comment, um, to a buddy of mine that the only way for an arrow to propel forward is for you to first pull it backwards. And a lot of times that's true for us as well. And it's a great time for character. I can understand people being really, really hard on themselves and, people being really upset and getting frustrated if they make a couple bad shots on animals or have some slumps, hit some branches, get flustered, get rushed, all that stuff, man, it factors in. It's a big, big deal. And you have to be able to just, you know, find one positive thing, because I'm sure there's at least one positive thing, even if it was, uh, you know, the fact that you got out of there without cutting your bowstring, find one positive thing and uh, forget about the rest. You got to just leave that behind you. Um, so many people, so many archers get in slumps. Um, top level guys that I work with will get in a slump and they come and they're down on their, their attitudes poor. They're kind of down on themselves. They're very, very hypercritical of themselves and that right there is the moment in time where all you have to do is is just put everything to the side and just go right back to the basics when i go and work with teams and normally there's teams that i work with where there's always a few high level archers that were once at the top of the game and now they're kind of you know old news, so to speak. And they're wanting this immediate remedy of how do I become a world champion again? Or how do I do this again? And honestly, that's when I take all of their crap and all of their placebos and all their trinkets. And I just say, Hey, man, let's go right back. Let's just dig right back to the basics. And just go right back to those core values of shooting, um, shooting up close, executing good shots, Um, really closing your eyes, falling back on old memories or old pictures. That's why I'm such a huge advocate of photos and building galleries. And this is one thing that I'm very adamant to my students about is taking photos of the good times and and creating a a little um, album within their phone that says good groups and really just focusing on... um, looking at those pictures and reinforcing in your mind how you can shoot and how good you do shoot and how good you have shot um, because all of that is important. So 
if you're in a slump, if you've gone out and you've had a bad day, and a lot of times, um, yeah, misery misery likes um, company. So um, once you start to fall into those slumps and you get a little bit miserable, a lot of times when it rains, it pours. And you have to just laugh about it. I'm telling you, um, four or five years ago when I went to Alberta, well, maybe it was six years ago now, I was in the process of moving here to Iowa. Had pretty much had my first week booked with, with Todd and Taylor, as I always do. And I was moving. I literally had one day to unpack stuff here in Iowa before I had to get on a plane to go to Todd's. I hadn't even bought the ticket yet because I knew I was moving houses. And Todd was just telling me, man, I've got some cool bucks. You know, just let, we'll make it happen. Just get on a plane and get up here. And um, I just, I did it. I threw everything in the car. I got up there, got on a plane, flew up. And I know I've told this story, but it was not good. It was, I mean, I got, I missed several animals in the first three days. It was like, it was literally like missing something every half a day. And I just, Todd looked at me in disgust and he actually made me shoot like a clump of dirt or a can or something on the side of this bank and said, can you at least show me that you can hit this can? <laughs> and once I did it, he said, well, what do you, what do you want to go hunt? And I just said, I honestly, man, let me just, let me just take today off. I went back and just took all my gear in my room, repacked it back into my bow case, packed my bow away, packed it the way I should have before I left, unpacked everything back out, laid it all out, put my quiver back on my bow, put my broadheads back on my arrows, uh, went out into the yard and just said, okay, I'm going to start at 20 yards, made some shots at 20, went to 30, went to 40, went to 50, moved my sight down, went to 60, got back to a hundred and then just shot at a hundred for a little while. And then I just, I knew then, okay, um, I'm just going to leave the past in the past. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I got it all out of my system. <laughs> I was confident I got it all out of my system. So at that point, I w- there was really no place to go but up. So I can promise you the best of the best have done that in tournament situations. The best of the best have done it in hunting situations. And um, I've had this conversation with some of the best bow hunters in the world that just guys that just go out and they're like, man, every single thing that could go wrong has gone wrong. A good friend of mine um, from up north, uh, he's works for a massive, massive archery company. And I mean, he's vice president and told me flat out that he was never going to shoot a bow again. He was so sick of having target panic And he just, you know, every time I talked to him, it was just he wanted to say how bad he shot and how miserable he was and he hated it and it wasn't any fun anymore. And I had to go up there and he thought that the majority of our training time was going to be about watching him shoot and having him shoot when the reality is the majority of the time, all I was doing is saying, hey, buddy, um, 
I would talk to him about his shooting and then he would speak to me about his shooting. And when he spoke to me, it immediately came out negatively. And so he would say, dude, I'd said, well, um, is it really bad? And he said, it's so bad. I can't, I suck so bad. I can't even do this. I can't do that. I just suck. I mean, every single thing was just this very negative, negative term. And so I just, I told him, I said, listen, here's how you're going to start talking. When we leave here and someone in the hallway says, so how's your target panic, John? You're going to say, I don't have target panic anymore. I'm shooting awesome. And when they say, how did you shoot today? You're going to say, I'm shooting so good that I'm surprising myself. And I told him, I said, you just really, really have to start believing in yourself and the only way you're going to do that is if you start speaking that same way um, that you want to become so um, then we started shooting I worked on several things and got him shooting really good shots and got him to the point where he was looking at me going wow I'm I'm shooting really good right now this is awesome and I said all right you are shooting awesome. I'm like, how are you shooting today? And he's like, I'm shooting awesome. And he said, I go, do you have target panic? And he's like, not right now. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. And he's like, okay. And later on, we ended up going into a meeting and someone's like, said something like, how many times did you punch the trigger, John, or something? And I, he he looked at me and I looked at him as to say, you better not freaking, you better not say it to yourself. If you say it to yourself, you're going to do it. And he just said, I shot awesome today. I can't believe how good I'm shooting. And I kind of just gave him the thumbs up. That's what you need to do. So positive thoughts, positive results. You really have to imprint correctly take pictures of the good times, fall back of the, onto those pictures during the bad times, um, and, and always fall back to the basics if you're ever uncertain because the core basics and the fundamentals is really all it takes to be um, awesome at something, and that's, that's the, God's, the God's honest truth. Um, Okay, so one other thing I wanted to talk about. I've got two other subjects here before I'm going to wrap up. One of those subjects is I talked a little bit in the last podcast about releases. Talked a little bit about um, the new Too Smooth that's coming. I guess just to tell everyone about releases, Noctuits are sold out. Um, And I said that when we posted. um, Literally, the capacity has been maxed out. They cannot um, keep up with with the Noctuits right now. Um, so I don't have an ETA on those. I'm expecting, I would love to know that I would have some before Christmas time. I've got a massive PO out there, but that doesn't mean that that PO is going to be made. Um, silverbacks, there's a PO out there, but I'm pretty certain those are sold out now too. So same thing, probably maybe if you're lucky Christmas. Um, the next thing is, uh, with this too smooth, um, POs are out there, so jig fixtures are being made. It's going to be machined, then it's got to, you know, got to go get polished, then it's got to go to an anodizer. All that's going to happen. Um, 
yes, they are all made by Carter. Um, big Carter fan, love Carter, and they're so good to uh, to service any type of any type of issues that you have. Most of the issues with Noctuits or Silverbacks are always due to people dropping them. I know when they're dropped. So if you call me and say that your thumb trigger just broke off while you had your thumb on it, um, guess what? When we get the release back and there's a big ding on the casing or a ding on the knob where we know you dropped it, it's obvious what happened. Don't sweat it. You're better off just telling us the truth. I let go of my release and shot it through my bow or I dropped it and it hit the concrete. Here's the deal. Those parts... I talked um, on the last podcast too about hardened parts for broadheads. If you make the blades too hard, then they break, right? Um, But you can make them sharper. Same is true on release parts. If they're too soft, then what happens is the edges on those releases on the sears they need, the sears are two perfectly straight edges that oppose one another and one trips off the other, which is, what makes it so crisp two perfect edges that are barely sitting on one another and then as you apply that pressure the springs drive them apart if they start to round off to where they're rounded then they start to feel travel and they slip so having a part that's very very hard to where those edges stay square is critical so you have to harden the parts inside of a release when it's built well. A lot of the junky releases out there don't spend the money to harden those parts. They're just machined and they do round off and that's why the longer you have them, the more they start to feel spongy or movement or travel and sometimes they slip um, because they're actually rounding the internal parts off. So they have to be hardened and when they are hardened to the point where they don't ever round off, they are a little more brittle when it comes to dropping them onto concrete or accidentally letting go of your release and shooting it through your bow. Um, so be truthful. Tell us what's up. We'll open that thing up and fix it. That's a big part of why I'm using Carter. So in regards to the too smooth, why shoot? Why all of a sudden have a hinge? Because I'm such a big. Um, I'm a. I'm a dynamic puller person. I'm. I like to pull. I like to come through my shot. But there are archers that like to aim. There's archers that like to be still. There's archers that like to just rotate their hand slow. And in those situations, a hinge release is another way of shooting. For the people that really like to be steady and like to aim, even though that isn't my preferred teaching method, um, they do like that hinge release where they can just pull and get to the click and then just aim and aim and aim and kind of slowly move the hand until it until it fires. I'm not personally one that shoots it that way. I'll teach you once it comes out. Obviously, I'm going to do a ton of videos and I'm going to teach you how to shoot it. I'm going to teach you the do's and don'ts. More importantly, I'm going to talk with you about how to adjust it because um, there's some really, really cool features designed into this new release that has some amazingly accurate adjustment to the moons to the clickers to the head position to the angle of the head to the draw length of how close it can get to your finger Um, lots of really cool features to it 
Um, so I'm going to have to educate you on how to actually adjust that release um, to what is going to suit you and your shooting style, which I will do. But for now, we don't have them. Um, but be be throwing some some uh, $20 bills into a can so when they come out, you'll be able to be one of the first to get one. And I've decided they're going to be black with uh, silver accents. So that way we've officially got a green, a silver, and a black and silver. Uh, so that's going to be that. Um, last question I'm going to jump onto here was actually a question that came up while I was um, turning on the live feed uh, while I'm podcasting. And the question came up about, can you talk about the difference um, of, can you talk about the difference with lighted knocks and impact differences? So years ago, I wrote an article specific about, I think, I don't know what it was called, um, but I actually have no idea. I thought I'd remember if I said it, but um, it was really relative to accuracy based on knock fit and how knock fit really started to affect accuracy. So when it comes to lighted knocks, they are a little bit heavier. I'm a big nocturnal fan. I really like the nocturnals. Um, I don't feel like I pract I actually practice with my lighted knocks, so I'm not like practicing with non-lighted knocks. Um, because they are slightly heavier, so if you are doing longer distance shooting, knowing that difference is pretty critical. I can tell you one thing to try. Um, because it is slightly heavier, a lighted knock, it could hit slightly different depending on what your standard knock weighs. Um, but that's on the weight aspect. The next thing is going to be um, how it actually fits. So if you have a knock that's super tight on your string, but then all of a sudden your nocturnal fits looser, then the looser knock is always going to, it's going to come off the string cleaner and faster, and it's almost going to be equal to, a, to an arrow that's shooting slightly faster uh, because it's coming off real clean. So if you have a knock that really spreads the knock apart and like almost spreads open the knock as it snaps on, and once you do snap it on, you can't spin the string um, in, within the throat of that knock. Those situations, um, you're actually going to lose accuracy because that knock is fitting so tight to the string that it actually like it'll pull the string forward with the knock before it finally busts loose. Whereas you kind of want once the string comes to center. And, and almost hits your string suppressor or comes to the brace height position, you want that knock fit to be where the arrow can come off. You don't want the arrow to pull that string and bend that string forward as it comes through. So a couple things. Check your knock fit. You really want to have a lighted knock that fits your string as close to a standard knock that you're practicing with as possible. But going one step beyond that, Really, really try to um, have a, a knock that the weight is as close as possible, but try to have a couple knocks that you dedicate to practicing with, especially before you go bow hunting. What I like to do is as soon as I shoot a lighted knock and I've used it 
Um, either I've used it in practice enough times to where it's, you know, I'm starting to question whether or not the battery is um, going to still be lit up enough. Or if I've already hunted and I've passed through, I've already shot an animal with the knock, um, I'll go ahead and do my best to wash it out really good. But then that knock, I'll normally like make a little black line on it with a Sharpie marker and I'll take that knock and that becomes a practice knock. So I've got, I bought a pack of knocks. Um, I've got three arrows that every time you see me practice in the backyard, it's usually with three arrows. Those are three arrows that all have um, not, um, nocturnal knocks. I practice exactly with the same knock as I, as I hunt with um, all, the, all the time. So that's really the best way to do that. You have to be you have to know how much difference is there between the weight of your lighted knock and your standard knock, and then also knock fit. If one's tight and one's not, then there's certainly going to be a difference uh, in how those react. So uh, with that said, I'm going to wrap up this podcast. You guys are all awesome. Make sure if you're getting out there hunting, I know some whitetail seasons are opening up. Make sure you're wearing your safety belt. Make sure you've got a good safety belt. Um, if you can make sure you get a safety line in that tree. Uh, if you're out elk hunting, uh, be careful for grizzlies, uh, watch out for mountain lions. Uh, make sure you take a clean pair of undies and a lighter. Um, so I like, those are the two necessities for me. Um, water you can find, but having a clean pair of undies to come home on come home in is always nice and then use the lighter to burn your original set of underwear once you're actually on your way back home from your elk hunt that's my advice so appreciate everybody stay tuned uh, for another knock on podcast here in a few days from elk country see ya be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com